welcome. Good morning. Let's stand and worship and sing and praise God together. You're the only answer to the darkness. You're the only right among the wrong. You're the only hope among the chaos. You are the voice that calls me on. Louder than every lie, my sword in every fight. The truth will chase away the night. Your name is power over darkness, freedom for the captives, mercy for the broken and the hopeless. Your name is faithful in the hat of glory, in the struggle, mighty will let us down, our failures. certain I know the word will never fail I know that in every situation you speak the power to prevail louder than every lie my sword in every fight the truth will chase away darkness, freedom for the captives, mercy for the broken and the hopeless. Your name is faithful in the battle, glory in the struggle, mighty will let us down, fearless. Your name is power. church awakens we believe the change is coming holy spirit let us see it your name is power over darkness freedom for the captives mercy for the broken and the hopeless your name is faithful in the battle Your name is power. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. We gather in warmth and comfort and safety. Thank you, Father, for this privilege of worship. We come before you, we kneel in spirit. We open ourselves to the moving of your spirit, Father. Hear our songs of praise. We worship you and you alone. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Thank you for braving the cold and coming to worship today. We appreciate you here. Good morning from Kid Street as well. Good to see you girls on this cold morning. I'm wearing a shirt that really doesn't go with the morning, huh? We got a big game today. Yeah, we're going to watch some guys play football, huh? They're like big and strong. They like work out and stuff, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're way bigger and stronger and faster than me, I can tell you that. I was reading this week, preparing, and I came across a couple of scriptures that are kind of the opposite of that, right? We'll watch the Super Bowl, there's going to be winners and losers, people are going to be celebrating, right? Everybody, everybody's going to celebrate the winners, and um, there's a couple of scriptures here. One is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and it says in verse 9, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Does that sound like a football game to you? Do the weak people usually win a football game? No, right? So he's saying in that scripture, when we're tired, when we're feeling down, that's when God can pick us up in our weakness. When we rely on him, his strength will get us through that, okay? And there's another one here. This is Romans 8, verse 18. Yet, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal in us later. Okay? So no matter what we're going through, if we have faith, no matter what happens, if we lean on God, those hard times that we go through, winning a football game, losing a football game, no big deal. The glory that we have in the love of Jesus is way bigger, way more powerful than any bad thing that might happen. So, let's pray. You can take one of these hearts home with you as a reminder. Next week, we've got another holiday coming up, right? Yeah. So, that can remind you of the glory that we have. And then we'll worship him. Dear God, we, we thank you for your power, your strength that we can rely on in tough times, when things aren't going our way, when we battle ourselves, help us to lean on you, to keep our faith and rely on your strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Pray with me, please. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you in chaos and pandemic, and we thank you for peace and for comfort and for safety 
and for being with us. As a token of our gratitude, we bring you these gifts and offerings, and we ask you to bless them and to bless the givers. In Jesus' name, amen. Michelle and friends, open your Bibles with me this morning, if you would. Book of Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation, chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 7 through 13, continuing on our studies from the letters to the seven churches, letter to the church at Philadelphia, We say that the city of Philadelphia today is the city of brotherly love, and that is not where they got the name for this city. There was a leader with the name Philadelphia in his name, and that's why they named this city Philadelphia. So just that's, that's your little bit of tidbit of history, and that won't be on the test later. Philadelphia, 
Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. And thank you again for coming out today. I didn't realize the weather was going to be so crummy. I usually wait till 7 o'clock to make the decision to have services or not on weather like this. And at 7 o'clock, the skies were clear, where I was anyway. The roads were horrible, but the forecast was things are going to be fine. And so I made the decision, told the staff we're all having services. And then before I left at 7.35, it was going to start snowing at 10 and then 30 and turn into a blizzard at 11 o'clock. And I'd already made the decision. So sorry, but thank you for coming. <laughs> Hazards of leadership sometimes. As always, we pray. We pray for our nation, our leaders. Pray for the game. I don't, I'm not going to pray for the Chiefs to win. I'm going to pray that no one gets hurt. I pray that it's a good game. I pray that the best team wins, wink, wink, you know, and all those things. Uh, you know, we assume that God knows who the right team is, right? But, uh, but you know, I, I've always felt at odds praying for sports events because there are good Christians on each team. And who knows what God's will is. We'll find out, hopefully, and all those kinds of things. But it's all right to pray for these guys. And I, I think that the value of sports is it gives us a good diversion from real life. Because sometimes real life isn't that much fun. You know, sometimes we need a diversion. And maybe that's what we get today. I'll give you a few moments of silent prayer. I'll close, and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you join me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence today, again for this privilege of worship, for allowing us to live in this time and place where worship is, is easy and comfortable and safe. We thank you, Father, for this great nation, for the privileges and freedoms that we take for granted. We thank you. We thank you, Father, for your blessings, for this faith that gives us a reason for this life. And hope into the next one. We pray this morning, Father, that you would be merciful to not, upon us. We are a sinful people. We recognize that. Our sin taints all we do. We ask for a cleansing and the forgiveness that is in Jesus. As always, Father, we pray for our nation and its leaders. We ask that they would be given wisdom, the ability to make decisions that would serve the body and serve to unite us. We pray, Father, that as we go through a time of turmoil in so many ways, that we would come to a sense of unity and goodness. Help us, Father, to discern between good and evil. Help us to choose the good influences rather than the others. Help us. As always, be with our first responders, our soldiers and military families. Use them, give them comfort, and protect them. We pray for those working in the medical establishment as they treat those with the pandemic crisis. Protect them and use them. We pray, Father, for an end to this pandemic. Comfort those that have lost loved ones. Give us grace. Help us to give grace to others. And as always, Father, we thank you for all good things. They are gifts from you. Thank you.
Be with us now as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Twice this week, I've had conversations with people telling me they didn't think God was with them. So I asked them, well, why do you say that? And they said, well, and each of them said that bad things were happening in their lives and it didn't seem like God was taking care of them and so on and so forth. So I asked them the standard questions, do you follow Christ as Savior? Well, yes. Well, have you been trying to worship and doing what you can in this time? Well, yes. I said, well, is there some great sin in your life that might be separating you from God or that you might do something to bring some kind of misery into your own life? No. And they both said this. It just doesn't feel like God is with me. Probably you have felt that way. My only response is the biblical response, which is this. Trust what scriptures teach. The Bible teaches us that if you follow Jesus, that God is with you. Regardless of circumstances, regardless of what you've done, God is with you. Regardless of whether you feel him or not, God is with you. Regardless of whether or not everything's going your way, God is with you. And I told one this, I said, listen, you have to choose, are you going to believe your emotions and how you're interpreting things, or are you going to choose to believe Scripture? And I gave her the short spiel about Scripture being God's Word. She goes, well, I, I guess I should trust Scripture. I said, I know it's hard, and it may not be what you're looking for. I said, but that is the only way we can gain sanity in this world, to trust what God teaches us in His Word. It's easy for preachers to say, one of my good friends was a preacher, a good guy, went to college with him, went to seminary with him, a truly gifted speaker. One of those guys, wherever he pastored a church, it turned to gold. And by that means, his churches always grew. His churches always had lots of baptisms. His churches always had lots of money. He was just one of those guys that was destined for greatness. So, after a few years of being in this miserable land of Missouri, which he didn't like, he wanted to go back home to one of the northeastern states on the coast. He went there to the largest Baptist church in the state. And in that state, the largest Baptist church at the time ran about 180 people. So it wasn't like Texas. It was the northeastern part, and Christianity wasn't really the, the faith of everybody. But he knew, knowing his gifts and abilities and a track record, that he would turn that church into a mega church in just a few short years. The church beat him down after seven years of working as hard as he could, doing all he knew to do. The church that was 175 when he went was still 175. He finally came back to Missouri where people would at least listen to what he had to say. It wasn't that the people up there weren't good people. He said they were. It's just that they weren't interested in the gospel. Now, the reason this is relevant to you today is because he began to think that maybe God wasn't with him anymore, that maybe there was some sin in his life, and he went through a time of real testing because he just didn't feel like God was with him. Pastor, knew Scripture, knew the same things I just told you, and yet because the circumstances weren't right, and everything wasn't going his way, he began to feel maybe something was wrong with him or maybe God wasn't with him anymore. 
You see, what my friend had learned and I had learned is that sometimes following Jesus isn't easy. In fact, sometimes following Jesus and doing things just like God wants you to can bring real hardship into your life. In the passage you're going to read in the book of Revelation, Jesus is talking to a church in Philadelphia. And it was hard to follow Jesus there. Follow along with me if you would. Revelation chapter 3, I'll read verses 7 through 13. Revelation 3, beginning at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put you before an open door which no one can shut, because you have a little power, and have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown. He who overcomes... I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God, and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So a little bit different than some of the other letters. If you notice, in five of these letters... The church is being condemned. The church that Jesus is speaking to is being condemned because there's something wrong about them. They've lost their faith. They've lost their first love, etc. But to this church and one other, there was no complaint, no condemnation. Jesus praising them because they're doing it right. Philadelphia was a neat place. It was a wealthy city, another one. Churches understood and Christians understood that if you're going to start a church, you need to go where the people are. And the cities were doing well in the Roman Empire. This one's wealth was based in the vineyards. And there was a lot of wine manufacturing there, a lot of beautiful vineyards. The soil in this area was particularly rich because it had been fed by a series of small volcanoes over the centuries. And it was really a, a beautiful place to be. Lots of wealthy money. The city had been destroyed twice by volcanoes and earthquakes. As late as 17 AD, AD, the city had been completely destroyed. Rome so valued the wine from this area that they not only helped rebuild the city, which was unusual, but they gave them a tax break for five years. For five years, they paid no taxes. An example of government helping cities back in the ancient culture. Nothing new there. Interestingly enough, in this city, if you were wealthy, you didn't live in the city because it was too dangerous. It was dangerous because in this area of the world, there were a lot of minor earthquakes. And in those days, buildings were built of, not, of mud bricks and straw and not a lot of wood beams. So they built them two or three stories tall, but they were pretty shaky. So if there was an earthquake, tall buildings would fall. So the poor lived in the city in those buildings. The wealthy, who could afford it, made their homes outside the city proper where it was safe. Kind of interesting dynamic there. So the poor were struggling, and as usual, the wealth were doing well. One other thing about this, there was a strong segment of Jewish population. Notice in the passage you read, Jesus said they're Jews, but they're really not Jews. These were Jews who hated 
Christians. Sometimes Jews were tolerant of Christians in different locales. In this city, Jews hated Christians, period. They rejected Jesus, thought it was nonsense, thought it was a cult from hell, etc., etc. And they were actively hating and persecuting Christians. So to be a Christian in this city was not easy. The Christians who started the church knew this, but they were faithful Christians. They wanted to do the right thing. So they went and started this church where they knew it was going to be a hard slog anyway, but they were faithful and wanted to do what God wanted to do, and they had a tough lesson to learn. The measure of faithful ministry goes beyond earthly considerations as one of the things that these Christians had to learn. If you remember, for the last several weeks, we've talked about faithful churches. Several characteristics that Jesus commended. Number one, that they were faithful to Scripture. Number two, that their ministries were based on the message of salvation in Jesus. And number three, that the goal of all their ministries was to bring new people into the faith. This is how Jesus measured churches. In contrast, we measure churches by other things, don't we? Are they big? Are they popular? Do they have a good online ministry? Is their preacher cool? Is the music good? Etc., etc. None of those things are bad. But interestingly, Jesus didn't seem to care about those things. The size to Jesus was almost irrelevant. I mean, if a church is big, great. But this church wasn't big, it was struggling. In this passage we read, you can see in verse 8, he talks about this church a little bit. Look at there, if you would, verse 8. I know your deeds. Behold, I have put you before an open door, which no one can shut. What this means is, Jesus said, you went to where there were nothing but opportunities. He commended them. They went to a hard situation knowing that everybody there needed Jesus. And they went there. They didn't go where it's easy. They didn't go where people might be responsive. They knew it was going to be hard, and they went there anyway. Jesus commended them and said, you have an open door. There are unlimited ministry opportunities there. But then he also said, but you have a little power. Because you have a little power, the church was small. The church was struggling. They weren't reaching the masses for Jesus. They weren't having big worship services. They weren't growing. They weren't doing baptisms. They were doing everything right. But in that community, those people simply rejected Jesus. One other thing there in verse 8. And you have kept my word and have not denied my name. So they were faithful. So here's a church that Jesus commands. Like I said, five of the churches that we're talking about were condemned for something. Only two of the churches were praised. So here's Jesus talking to this church. It was struggling. It was in an area where no one was responding to the gospel, and they preached faithfully no matter what, and he praised that church. There's a big lesson here for us. The lesson is this. Sometimes God wants you to do the right thing in spite of how other people respond to you. Not everybody's going to get saved. Now, you know this. We live in a culture where not everybody is saved. In this culture, we have sometimes reduced the gospel to nothing more than a feel-good thing that makes people feel good, but it doesn't really change lives. And Jesus was commending this church for not doing that. Instead of doing what would reach people and make them feel good and draw them in with good music and nice preaching and all those kinds of things, they preached the gospel, they confronted sin, they were faithful, and no one responded And they kept at it. 
a big lesson here is that Christians have to be faithful. God calls us to be faithful in our service to Him, regardless of people's responses. One of the things I learned when I was talking to my friend is that he, got, he had the gift of evangelism. And what that means is when he preached, people always got saved. And when he preached in Missouri, people got saved. He was one of those guys. He was an evangelist. He talked like an evangelist, and you remember the style. And when he preached, people would get saved. I mean, it was amazing. But when he went to this city in the Northeast, it was Providence, no one got saved. People heard him preach. They go, yeah, he's a nice guy. Let's go eat. And really, it went that far. And after 10 years of ministry, doing all he could, he said he really hadn't baptized anyone, and the church hadn't grown at all. And he had to realize that it wasn't up to him. You see, it's easy for preachers to get pretty arrogant, and we would never admit that, but a guy that is pastor of a growing church and has some of those gifts that produce great things that people see, sometimes he begins to think that he really is something. And then you go to a place like the Northeast where people don't care who you are. And they don't respond to the gospel, and it's very humbling. And sometimes the church needs to hear those lessons. God calls us to be faithful and to do what we can and to keep doing it even when people say no. The encouragement here is for Christians is just do your job. Be faithful. Work your church. Share the gospel. Do what you can to do it right. If you need to make some changes, do that. But ultimately, you are not responsible for anybody else's decision. You ever thought about something like that? You are not responsible for what other people do in their lives. I know sometimes we try to be responsible for other people. A child or something, for instance, an adult child, you try to control your adult children or something like that. And somewhere along the way, parents, wise parents, have to understand, I can't control my kid. He's 30 years old. He's on his own. And that is the only way to do it. If you try to control and manipulate, you're just going to hurt yourself and others. Any growth in the church, any success in the church, guess what? Comes from God. It doesn't become of, come because we're good people or anything like that. Growth comes as a result of God working in people's hearts and people responding to God. And in some situations, in some churches, people aren't going to respond to God. Some churches stay small forever. In our culture, we seem to think that if a church is small, it's not a very good church. And if a church is big, then it's a good church. Nothing could be further from the truth. Size has nothing to do with it in terms of church growth and those kinds of things. God blesses as he will. Sometimes people just choose no. There was one of the first missionaries in the modern missionary movement named Adoniram Judson. You probably never heard of him. The reason you didn't hear of him, because he wasn't a great success, went to Burma, 18, early 1800s. He was a great preacher. He was going to do great things in Burma, set the world on fire and get those foreigners saved. He went there, set up church, did things as best he knew how, preached Jesus faithfully, did everything right. After seven years, not a single convert, seven years. Not a single convert. Slowly, people began to get saved. But not because of him, but because God began to work. So he wasn't really a raging success. We see him as a success because God used him. But he wasn't this raging success that people wanted seven years without a convert. He did everything just right. 
Again, the lesson is, do your job and be faithful. People may or may not respond. That's all you can do. The good thing here in this passage is that God does reward faithful Christians. On screen are some things we can talk about. Look at verse 9. This is one of the rewards of Christians. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not but lie, I will make them to come and bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now, Jesus being pretty clever here. Remember in the Old Testament, the prophets would talk about a time when God would come back and he would set up the Jews in charge of the world and Gentiles would bow to the Jews. And this is what they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear that those big bad Gentiles were going to turn. They were going to worship us. You watch. They're going to bow down to us. And that was the Old Testament teaching. Well, here Jesus is saying to the Christians, it's the Jews who are causing you a problem. And what's going to happen in the end days is they're going to bow down to you. So there's a reversal here. Instead of Gentiles bowing down to Jews, Jews will bow down to Jewish, to Gentile Christians. So there's a reversal of fortunes here. Meaning, in this new era, Christians are rewarded. Non-Christians are not. Non-Christians, those who reject Jesus, will suffer the consequences, and those who follow Jesus will be the ones who are blessed by God. No details there. We're not sure exactly what this means, but the message is clear. God has changed. And the old Jewish nation, good as it was, was no longer where God was going into the future. God was going to create a new people in Jesus. And this is one of the rewards. Another thing, look at verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world. Scholars fuss about what testing he's talking about, but it's obvious God will protect his people. God will protect Christians. Now remember, they were in a culture where it was illegal to be Christian. And they suffered the consequences. And they were suffering and they, they wanted to get out. And so Jesus was saying, listen, I know it's hard now, but there will come a time when I will protect you and I will rescue you, giving them hope in difficult circumstances. And that's one of the rewards of faithfulness, hope. One other thing, look at verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God in my new name. So, prophecy of the end time, Jesus says, in this new city, you faithful Christians will be like pillars in that city. Remember, the pillars hold things up. Have you ever heard the phrase that he or she is the pillar of the church? Sure. They're people, they're not literal pillars, we're not in a literal building. We're talking about people of faith who keep things together. Jesus is saying, this is what you get for your faithfulness. You will be a pillar in the new Jerusalem. So he's not referring to a new, uh, literal city here like some people think. In this instance, he's talking about the kingdom of God and people of faith who are faithful no matter what. Those people are the pillars. Those are the ones that others will look to for guidance and strength. Those are the ones who will be recognized for their strength and Christian faithfulness. So there are rewards, but sometimes God's rewards don't come in the form that you might want. You might want rewards in the form of money and numbers and churches and big buildings. And, you know, churches do that. And there's nothing wrong with those things. 
But that isn't necessarily the way God works. It isn't necessarily the way you judge a church's effectiveness. And it surely isn't the way you, you look at a people's effectiveness. You go by what Jesus gauged us by. Are we faithful to Scripture? Is our faith based on salvation in Jesus? And do we make a conscious effort to share our faith with others? When you do those things, you're doing the right thing. And whether or not other people respond, that's not your responsibility. Your job as Christian is to follow Jesus, live a life of faith, and preach Jesus and make sure people understand. And when you do that, God blesses you. Final thoughts here. There are blessings and rewards for God's people. Jesus encourages us to be faithful to him and to the teachings in his word. You are called to be faithful. You are not called to manipulate people. You are not called to squeeze people for decisions. You are not called to make people do anything. You are called to be faithful. Share Jesus. Love people. Follow God. And let God take care of the results. And when you do that, you become like the people here in this city, blessed of God. It's not easy following Jesus. Sometimes we just need to be connected with other people. Uh, earlier in praise team practice, we were talking about why anyone would spend the money to go to a Super Bowl. You know, the cheapest ticket today is $5,800, and it goes up from there up to 38000 I think. Why would anyone do that? Because I've got a much better seat in my front room, right? And it's warm, and the bathroom's close by, and the food's cheap, etc. But people want to be with others. And sometimes they're willing to pay a lot of money for that group experience. Nothing necessarily wrong with that. Jesus knew that this is the way people are. So he said, when you guys get together for a meal, assuming that we would, he said, when you do get together, share bread and wine and remind yourselves of who you are as Christians. You follow Jesus. You're Christians because you follow Jesus. You're not better than anyone else. You're saved. You're not perfect you are forgiven. And you base your life not on tradition, but on the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. So today we share this meal. I'm going to ask that the deacons come and get in their place. As we take this meal, it is a way for us to remind ourselves that we follow Jesus. We are Christians not because we're good people, but because we follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus as Savior, we invite you to join us in this meal. If you're not, we invite you to consider making that decision to follow Jesus as Savior. The meal is proclamation of the gospel, but it's also invitation. We want new people to join us in this meal. In this church, we ask that you join us in this meal today. Would you stand with me, please? The way we'll do this after I pray, as soon as I stop praying, you can come down and, and get your cup, and the deacons will let you take it from the plate, and you'll go back and get in your place, and I'll lead you through the meal, all right? Pray with me. Father, again, we thank you for your presence. We thank you, Father, for this gospel which saves us and gives us hope. Use this meal to remind us of our faith, to encourage us to stand together, and to give us hope in this sometimes evil and confusing world. Be with us now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come join me in the meal, please. Luke tells a story, 
And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Luke continues the story of this first meal. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is a reminder and a symbol. We are Christian. We follow Jesus as Savior. We are united in faith. The crucifixion and the resurrection is our reason for being and serving Jesus today. Nate's going to come and lead us in a closing hymn of invitation. Why don't you stand with me? Let me encourage you to make these decisions in a way that will allow God to have more influence in your life. Track me down if you'd like to talk about something today, all right? I'll be right back there. Thank you. Drive home safe. Enjoy the game. Go Chiefs! Right? George, come and lead us. Father, we ask that you dismiss us now and stay with us. Bring us peace and safety in this weekend forever. In Jesus' name, amen.